Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So have you ever um, maybe bought like a new car or, or something like that, and then from the day that you get it, everywhere you go, you start seeing that thing everywhere? You know what I'm talking about? Like you just start to notice whatever it is that you just bought, now everybody suddenly has one as well. And you start to think like, are they, are they copying me or am I like setting some kind of a trend or something like that? It can happen with a car, it can happen with a shirt that you buy or shoes or something like that. Just you start to notice that it's everywhere. I notice Nissan trucks and Crescent kayaks everywhere I go. I see them, I see them everywhere because that's, that's what I drive. That's something, that's, uh, there's actually a word for that. It's a phenomenon called the, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, okay? It's, that's the term for it, or it could be called the blue car illusion, where you just see these things everywhere that you go. It's not that there really are more people driving that same car, you just start to notice it more, right? Your brain is playing tricks on you. Your brain has been conditioned to notice that thing, whatever, whatever it is. And so if you think about all the things that you see throughout a day, like you see all kinds of stuff and your brain is actually trained to only take in the information that you need. So, so it's actually seeing things and discarding that information, which is kind of crazy in itself, right? But the things that you find interesting, the things that you find um, neat, your brain kind of stores that away and it takes notice. So that's the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. You know who else knows about that? Marketing companies. Marketing companies, they know all about it. They know that whenever we see something appear again and again and again, we start to take notice of it and we start to think that thing is desirable or that thing is popular and I need one, right? So that's, that's what marketing companies are trying to do. If you've ever been flipping through your phone, maybe on Instagram or something and a certain ad just keeps popping up, and you start going, you know what, that thing actually does look kind of cool, I'm seeing it all over the place, maybe I need one, and you whip out your credit card and, and you buy it. You've just been deceived, right? You've just been, um, you, they, they got you. It's an illusion, it's deception. They're, they're turning our own brains against us, and that's just not fair, right? But that's what they're trying to do. And so this, the truth is, that we're gonna talk about this morning, is that we are being deceived all the time. There are people and forces in this world that are determined to deceive us. And our main verse this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, that says this. Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. All right? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So as you're turning there... Man, this is, this is a tough passage. Like, there, there's no way around it. This, this passage has terms and titles that are just hard to define. There's terms he uses like apostasy, and he references a man of lawlessness. 
and someone who is a, a, a deceptor. Like there's these terms that are hard for us to deal with and even know who they are. And then he also says that he is referencing back to information that he gave them in person that we don't have access to, right? There's not recordings of Paul teaching the Thessalonians back in the day. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse five. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? So he's referencing back to stuff that like, we just don't even have access to. And so it's a tough passage. But whenever you're interpreting the Bible, especially a difficult text, you start with this. What did the author mean and how did the original audience receive it? Okay, what did, what did the author mean and, and how did the audience receive it? And that's the reason I always wanna start us out with context, like what is happening in this passage? The context of what's happening is there was a group of people that were saying that Jesus had already returned, that they were trying to trick the Thessalonian church into thinking that, that Jesus had already returned and that the Thessalonian people had missed the boat, and they believed it. Right? They believed it. And Paul says in this passage, I don't want you to be upset and worried. I don't want you to be deceived. That's the purpose of the text this morning. It's important though for us, to, for us to know and to recognize as we're getting into some of these things, some of these terms that are kind of strange and odd and different to us, Paul is not trying to build a detailed essay of the end times for us this morning. What he's trying to do is he's trying to comfort his friends. He's trying to comfort his friends. All right, so we're gonna read 2 Thessalonians chapter two. Before we do though, I want us to pray. So I'm going to pray for us. And why don't you pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this time. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for uh, the moment now to open your word. God, I thank you for the time of worship that we shared. I thank you for our students and, and the ministry that they uh, are a part of here at Second. They are not someone we are doing ministry towards. They're, they're a group of people who are doing ministry alongside of us and on their school campuses and things. And so God, we thank you for them. We thank you for their lives and for their influence and for their ministry. And God, we thank you for the baptisms that we were able to celebrate this morning. But now as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do and that you would speak to us. That you would clarify kind of a difficult text for us this morning. And God, I pray that it would be everything that you would have to say and nothing that I would have to say this morning. We love you and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. We're going to read 12 verses together. I know it's a lot, but follow, follow along the best that you can. Verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our, be, our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this and you know what currently restrains him so that, we will be, so that he will be revealed in his time. Verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, 
The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, for this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. Now, that was a lot to read this morning. We're gonna break it down into three sections this morning. Three things that lead to deception and three ways to fight back. Three things that lead to deception and three ways to fight back. Number one is the, the lie of deception, that, that lies lead to Deception. See, verse two, he says, we don't want you to be upset or, or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us. So somebody had written a letter to the Thessalonian people and they were kind of pretending to be Paul. And so Paul says, that letter's not from us. They're alleging, they're, they're making it up that the day of the Lord has come. So that was a lie, just a, just a flat out lie that they were trying to trick the Thessalonian people. They'd been told that Jesus had come back and he hadn't. And so Paul is addressing that. Now, as we get into this discussion this morning about deception, about these things that were going on, I think it's important for us to understand that we have an enemy who is a liar. We have an enemy who is a liar. John 8, 44, Jesus is talking and he says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. See, Satan is a liar, and we need to understand that. There's nothing true about him. He's the father of lies. Everything that he says is a lie, and he knows that if he can get us to forget the truth of what God has said, then he can get us to believe a lie. Just think about what he did in the, in the opening pages of the Bible, Genesis chapter three in the garden. Do you remember what he said to Eve? Do you remember? He says in, in Genesis chapter three, verse one, he says, after they have been told, like don't eat from these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They said, you can eat anything else God did, but, but don't eat from those two trees. And Satan comes along in verse three, and he says this, did God really say? Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And he's been using that same trick for centuries. Did God really say? See, you need to know that you will face things that may seem blurry or confusing or may seem like a gray area of life and Satan will come with the same thing. Did God really say that you can't have that thing? Did God really say that you're supposed to live a certain way? So we face it all the time, right, teenagers? You face this all day, every day at school, in your relationships, whenever you're trying to, to stay biblically pure like you're called to in your relationships and you start to wonder like, okay, what is too far? How far is, like, did God really, did God really say that I'm supposed to remain pure until Marriage? Did God really set boundaries on sexuality? Did God really say that I shouldn't partake in things that are against him? Like, 
It's something that we come in contact with all the time. Did God really say? Think about the big cultural topics of our day today, right? Um, recently, there's, there's a thing, and it kind of looks like it may happen, where Roe v. Wade may be overturned. The abortion um, law may be overturned. And so this topic of abortion is big in our country again, right? And, and like, it's an actual discussion on whether or not human life actually matters. Like, that's mind-boggling, right? But Satan creeps in, he says, but did God really, did God really say? Think about the, the issue of marriage and what God has designed for marriage. Did God really say that marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman? Did he really say that? And then just on a personal level, like we begin to ask ourselves and begin to be deceived about our own worth and our own value. And we start to say, did God really say that he loves me, that he cares about me, that I have worth and that I have value? The answer to all that is yes. He spoke clearly about those things. But Satan will come along and he will try and say, did God God really say, right? And, And he mixes just enough truth and emotion together to pull us in and to confuse us. And he'll twist the truth and he'll cause us to question and ask, did God really say? And so we face that. We have an enemy who is a liar. And so that's the deception. How do we fight back against it? We've been given a tool and it is called the sword of scripture. Did you know that the Bible talks about itself as a sword, right? Ephesians. Uh, 6.17, Hebrews 4.12, both talk about how this is a sword. It's a defense mechanism. And so if we're gonna fight back against the lies of Satan, we need to know what the word says. See, Paul says in verse five here, he says, I told you about this. Like we, we talked all about it. And remember, he's basically speaking the New Testament. And so our version of this would be, we have the word, that we've been told about this. See, Paul says, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this. He spent time talking through these topics with them. He didn't just rush past them. He didn't just kind of casually mention it. No, he continuously taught them about the return of Jesus because see, Paul understood that, that the things that they were facing, the persecution, their current problems, the church needed to filter their current problems through the filter of the truth and the hope of scripture. They needed to understand that their future was different than what they were currently going through here. And that's important for us as well, right? That whenever we read our world, we don't read it through the lens uh, of what's going on. We read our world through the lens of scripture. We don't read scripture through the lens of our world. Does that make sense? And so we don't, we don't see what's going on in our world and say, how does that apply to this? No, we, we read it through this and say, well, this says this, so this means that this over here is not correct. This is the sword that we use to fight back against the deception and the lies that we, we face. You're in the world every day. You're being lied to every day. You're being deceived every single day. And so I wanna ask you, are you in the word every day? And I don't say that to guilt you or to shame you or manipulate you. I say that to prepare you, just like Paul's saying here. Like we, we talked about this, you have it. The, the word will guard you and protect you from the lies of this world. It's the tool that we need to fight back against the lies that we face every single day. 
So we face lies and the tool that we use is scripture. Number two, we face worry. That's what we see in verses four through eight, that they're facing worry. I think it's probably safe to say that you and I all worry about things, whether it's finances, a job situation, maybe it's gas prices right now, maybe it's, maybe it's graduation, maybe, maybe you have a loved one who just graduated or is about to and, and you don't really know how to feel about that, maybe you worry about a medical diagnosis, maybe you worry about future plans, maybe you worry about the current state of our world. We worry about things all the time, but worry is what we feel when we feel that things are out of our hands. A lot of times worry is just something that's in our head that doesn't actually exist. Did you know that? Like worry is a situation. Here's an example. Here's how I'll paint that picture for you. If you've ever left maybe late for work or something and you start to think as you're driving that, man, I, I, what, if I, what if I hit some traffic that I'm not used to hitting? You know, and you start to worry about this extra traffic that you're gonna encounter. And then you start to create this whole scenario in your head where like, you're gonna get there late and your boss is gonna be mad and your boss is gonna fire you. And then you're gonna like lose your job and lose your income. And before you know it, you're homeless, right? In your head. And then you show up to work on time. There was no extra traffic. Everything was just fine, but you worried yourself sick over it. Worry leads to anxiety. Worry leads to depression. See, worry is something that we face and the Thessalonians were facing it. They were worried. They thought they had missed the return of Jesus. And, and Paul confronts their worry by reminding them of what they know to be true. Again, don't you remember what we talked about over and over again when we were with you, he says in verse five. Basically, when I was with you, I spent a lot of time teaching you about the return of Jesus and the events that would take place, and you know that those things haven't happened yet, so stop worrying. Stop worrying, right? And he tells them about a couple of things, and this is where it gets weird. Um, he tells them about a couple of things that have to happen before Jesus comes back. And he taught them about the apostasy and the man of lawlessness there in verse, verse three. The apostasy and the man of lawlessness. What are those things? So the apostasy is, is basically a massive revolt against God. It's a massive turning away from the things of God, which I think we could all look at our world and say, man, it really seems like we are experiencing that now, right? Seems like our world is just spiraling down and further and further away from God. And he says that it will be led by this person, this individual, this whatever, called the man of lawlessness. Now, who is that, right? The man of lawlessness. There's a lot of debate about who that is. Is it the Antichrist? Is it an individual? Is it a group? Is it, a, is it an institution? Truth is, we don't know. Right? Paul says that he talked to, to them about it in person. Again, we don't have those recordings. It would be helpful if we did. So, so we don't know. We, we aren't intended to know. He references, again, the things that were taught in person, and we don't have access to that. So what do we know? Verse 4, that the man of lawlessness opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple falsely, I would say, I would add in there, proclaiming that he himself is God. So that's what he does. Um, most scholars, most commentaries that you read, they, they believe that this is talking about an antichrist figure in some way. An antichrist figure. 
The thing is, is, is this idea of the antichrist or antichrist doesn't appear a lot in scripture. Like it just doesn't. Like the, Revelation talks about this beast coming up from the sea. Daniel talks about this extra horn coming out of this beast and whenever he's making these prophecies and things. But the only place where antichrist is mentioned in scripture is 1 John and 2 John. And it's just a, four, a few verses. So I wanna show them to you this morning. 1 John verse, uh, chapter two. Verse 18, this is what John, the guy who is best friends with Jesus, says about Antichrist. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. They're causing division in, in the church. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. And he skips down to verse 22. It says, who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this one is the antichrist, the one who denies the father and the son. And then in 2 John verse seven, he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So John here he kind of talks about, about Antichrist not so much as a future individual, but more as kind of like this spirit of division or false teaching. He's not, he's not necessarily pointing to some figure that is going to step in and come. Here's what John says about who Antichrist is. He says, there were many that had already come, and that was some 2,000 years ago. So it's safe to assume that there have been many more since and there will be many more to come. And then he said that they are somebody who has denied the deity and the humanity of Jesus. They deny the lordship of Christ and they are people who divided the church. That's what he says. They deny the lordship of Jesus. They divide the church. Now, those things apply to a ton of people, right? And that's who John is saying is, is anti-Christ. But man, we, we get worried about end times things and situations and, and all that. And, and, and naturally so that, that just as they are worried about this stuff, we, we worry about it too. I know this because I'm a pastor and when people find that out, they want to talk about end time stuff a lot, right? I told you a few weeks ago, a few months ago now about being in a tire shop and the manager of the tire shop found out I was a pastor. And man, we, we had an hour long conversation about end times stuff that was that was going on. So I know it because I'm a pastor. I know people are interested and they're worried about it. And I also know it because I have a Facebook account, right? And we see people get on Facebook, get on social media and start to share different ideas and opinions. Social media is both good and bad. We understand that, right? Like it's good because it helps us to connect with, with one another, but it's bad because it gives everyone a microphone to share their wisdoms. <laughs> and uh, man, that's sometimes not a good thing. And it also can fuel our, our worry. Everyone has an opinion on everything, including world events and what they mean for us. I found a website this week that I found really interesting and I wanna show it to you. It's called raptureready.com. Raptureready.com, yeah. And so what you can do um, is, I mean, you can visit it if you want. I, I don't endorse it, let me just be clear. <laughs> I'm not endorsing raptureready.com, but if you were to go there, you see this, a gauge of the end times. Click here now. So go ahead, we'll 
click into that. And, and what it does is it, it begins to rank all these different things going on in our world and it gives it a number system between one and five. Five is bad, bad, okay? And so it begins to rank all these different things like uh, debt and trade is number one. It's at a five right now. Um, false Christ is at a three. Satanism is at a two. I'm not sure where they're getting their numbers or how they're ranking different things, but, but that's what they're doing. And, and, and here's the thing about it. They, they make it clear over here on the side that they're not trying to depict or, or describe the day that Jesus is coming. They're just saying conditions are right. It's like a code orange, code red kind of a thing, uh, kind of a speedometer. And so what it says is anything above 160, quote, fasten your seatbelts. That's what it says. Fasten your seatbelts. The all-time high was on October 10th, 2016 at a 189. Today, it's at a 188. So that's not good, right? <laughs> we better, we need to fasten our seatbelts. I think it's interesting The Antichrist down here, number 34, is at a five. False Christ is at a three. So I'm not really sure how that plays out for them. Inflation's at a five. Didn't know that was a sign of Jesus coming back, but <laughs> inflation, we're all feeling that. Interest rates are at a two though, and drug abuse is at a three. So I don't know, maybe I guess we're doing all right with drug abuse and things right now. So this is out there, like this line of thinking. And so I'm not like poking fun at, well, I am poking fun at that, <laughs> right? Listen, Jesus could come back this afternoon and I, and I hope he does, right? That'd be fantastic. He, he could come back. But I laugh at stuff like this because primarily, top of my list, why I laugh at stuff like this, Jesus himself said he doesn't know when it's happening. Mark 13, 32. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Only, only the father knows whenever Jesus is coming back. And if that's true, that that Jesus doesn't know, and I believe that it is, then raptureready.com isn't going to know, right? And neither is a loved one on Facebook or any kind of other discernment blogger that's out there. Let me, let me be clear. We should study and we should know what the Bible says about the last days. We should. Christians, we should, we should know it and we should find hope and comfort in, in the future that, that Jesus is going to return. And, and non-believers should, should take it as a generous warning from God and turn and repent. That's the point in scripture. That is the point of the reason why we are giving end time stuff in scripture. But it gets really dangerous whenever we try and start reading between the lines or cracking the code, putting numbers and dates together and trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. That was never the point on what we're supposed to do. So whenever it comes to the man of lawlessness, here or the antichrist, instead of trying to figure out who it might be or who it might have been, I think we would do better to do a little bit of self-examination towards ourselves. Here's what I mean. Christians in the, early, in the early days, they thought Nero was the antichrist. And for good reason, because Nero was pretty harsh on Christians. Martin Luther, several hundred years later, he pointed out and said that the Pope is the Antichrist, right? There, there's always somebody who's being pointed at. In the 30s and 40s, people thought that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. I saw a book this week that, that, that declared that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist, and I thought people generally liked Ronald Reagan. 
But apparently if you, if you add his name up, Ronald Wilson Reagan, each one of those names has six letters in it. And so they put all that together to mean that he is the Antichrist and they sell books on Amazon. So listen, I'm not denying that there could be a future figure burst onto the scene that is the actual man of lawlessness. But John, best friend of Jesus, says that the Antichrist is anyone who denies the lordship of Jesus or is divisive in Christ's church. And Paul says that the man of lawlessness is the one who exalts himself and sits in God's place declaring himself to be God. Listen, we do this every day. We do it every single day. We are our biggest idol. One of my favorite professors at at the real OBU, Oklahoma Baptist, Dr. Bobby Kelly, he says this. He says, instead of looking around the world at current events and playing pin the tail on the Antichrist, we would do well to look in the mirror and ask, am I being Antichrist? Right? And so that's the way we're supposed to read that. Again, there's a lot of questions on the meaning of Paul's letter. We just don't know, and we aren't intended to. What we are supposed to do is trust the sovereignty of God. That's the tool that we use to fight back against worry is we trust the sovereignty of God. Verse eight, the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. Jesus will destroy him with just his breath and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Destroyed with just a a breath. Like it's simple, it's easy. It's not a difficult thing at all for Jesus. Listen, you can trust him. He is sovereign. So whatever is worrying you, you can trust him. He's bigger than that thing. He's victorious over that thing. Jesus is coming back. And I hope it's soon. But we place our, our faith in that future. That whatever it is that's, that's getting us down here, we know that he is going to, in one breath, annihilate it. Right? And we know that it's coming soon. It is coming soon. People will say all the time, like, do you think it's the last days? And be like, yeah, and I think it's the last hour of the last days. And I say that because John said that. In 1 John 2, children, it is the last hour. And he said that again 2,000 years ago. So we are in the last hour. Christ could come back at literally any, any moment. Here's the point. We've been given all the information that we need to not worry and to trust the sovereignty of God. We can trust him. Third and finally, the deception of pride. The deception of, of pride. Verse 10 the man of lawlessness, it talks about him in verse, verse four as, as exalting himself above everything else. He's, he's so prideful that he puts himself in God's seat and he is lumped in with a group that is heading towards destruction. Verse 10 says, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. Their pride has deceived them. This is so sad because it's not metaphorical. It's not imagery, like this is real. Pride will deceive millions and millions of people as they will die and face the punishment of their sin. They are condemned and they are perishing, verse 12 says. They are dying. Paul, Paul points out that they reject the truth that would save them. Like if they would just 
If they would just believe the truth, it would, it would save them, but their pride has deceived them and they turn away from the truth. The truth here is, is a Greek word that, that talks about the truth of the gospel message. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that we were desperately alone in our sin, that we were separated from God. But he stepped into this earth on a rescue mission to save us. Like he, he put on skin and bone, stepped into this earth so that you and I might have relationship with God. He did everything necessary. There needed to be a blood offering for our sin. And Jesus goes to a cross and he offers his own blood for you and for me. He raises from the dead. He defeats sin and death. And if you and I just place our trust in him, we will be saved. That's, that's the gospel message. And so my plea to you today is to turn away from your pride and turn towards the truth. That's the picture of what repentance is. You're heading in one direction. Repentance means literally you just turn in the opposite way and you go. And I'm pleading with you. Don't let your pride deceive you. Turn towards the truth. Turn towards a savior who loves you who died for you, who rose again so that you could be saved. Don't be deceived by lies or worry or your own pride. Instead, receive the freedom that is offered to you. So Harry Houdini is maybe the most famous magician to ever live, right? We've all heard of Houdini. He did this thing that anytime he would come into a town, he would immediately go to the jail. And like if he was going into a town to put on a show or something like that, he would go to the jail and he would ask the jailer to lock him in a jail cell. And he did this so that he could create buzz and excitement for his upcoming show. And time after time, jail after jail, town after town, he escaped within minutes. Houdini would just escape out of the jail cell. But one jailer heard that he was coming and he decided he was going to mess with him and the jailer was ready. And so whenever he, Houdini went into the jail cell, they closed the door, the, the jailer stuck the key in and he intentionally turned it the wrong direction. So he intentionally turns the key the wrong direction and then he removed the key and everyone watched as Houdini struggled to get out of the jail cell. Because the more he tried to get out, the more he just locked himself back in, right? And he was turning it the wrong, the wrong way. And as that began to happen, well, then he starts to get worried. He starts to get worried that his show wouldn't fill up. He, his pride kind of took over and, and he thought, I'm the great Houdini, I can get out of this. And he really just made the situation worse. And finally, he's embarrassed and he's frustrated. Houdini admitted he could not escape and the jailer told him about his deception, told him about the lie. See, he was held in because of a lie. And his worry and his pride kept him locked in the jail cell. Literally, all he needed to do was take what was there all along, freedom. It was unlocked. Living your life in the deception of the enemy is a lot like believing the door is locked when it isn't. On the other side is freedom. And so instead of being deceived, we receive. We receive the freedom offered to us. And so I'll, I'll say it 
again this morning. The point of Paul's writing here is not for us to detail the events and the dates of Jesus's return. His point and the point of our time together this morning is to bring comfort and clarity where there may be deception. And I pray that we would all open our eyes to the freedom that Christ offers us and be set free from deception. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.